Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor. I'm Foster Brown, your co-host and producer of the program, and delighted to be with you again for another two hours. We've got a great show lined up for you. We might have, you might say, good news and bad news. <laughs> we're going to be talking about innovation in businesses, and we're going to be talking about fake news and the impact that that has had on our culture recently and threatens to have as we move forward. So stick around for the Internet Advisor. It's going to be a great show. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, with you and my partner for low these many years now, Mr. Gary Baker. It's uh, not been 19 yet. Close, but <laughs> close, not quite. <laughs> close, but no cigar coming yeah. up on that. Edward L is uh, out celebrating his dear wife, uh, Tina. Tina's birthday, yeah. and we will not go anywhere near the number of years. Okay, guys, we've agreed upon that. Could result in a severe beating. <laughs> yeah, well, and actually, she's younger than all of us. It is so, all of so, us, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so we're not not going there. She's a youngin. Yep. And uh, we also have a number of people in studio with us, Gary, that you'd like to introduce because they're going to be part of a conversation we have as we continue on here. And that's some one of the people in the studio is uh, Jake Siegel. Jake, it's so good to have you back with us. This is, uh, what, third or fourth time you've been in here? Yeah, it's uh, been a few times. Really glad to be back and lots of great stuff to talk about. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, cool. yeah. Yep. We're, we're going to be focusing on, matter of fact, this first hour, we're going to be focusing on innovation. And my goodness, I was teasing you about being a serial entrepreneur, but you really have been involved in, I mean, that's innovation does, has been. Does that mean he invents cornflakes? <laughs> no, different kind of cereal. Okay, got it. All right. I wish I did. I wouldn't have to uh, work right. in tech anymore. <laughs> but you have really been, I think the first time you came around, you had um, you had a device that you were working with was a record was a radio. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's right. Back in the back in the original days, yeah. the pre Livio was called Mine Electronics, and then Livio, and then uh, after the Ford acquisition, now it's uh, Tome Software that we're working at. So, when that go. first Very time cool. around, you had that was an, the unique thing about that was. It was a radio set, like the regular old radio sets mm -hmm. yep. that many of us have grown up with in our houses. But this one tapped into the internet. Yes. Yeah. So we built the world's first radio, uh, dedicated radio that accessed Pandora. And the real concept was for my mother that you know needed help getting Pandora and internet music into the home. And this is this is mind you, this is before people knew what Pandora was. This was two thousand nine. Yes. They were on the ropes. They you know there was oh, a yeah. lot of thought they were going to go out of business and. Um, you know, this was a magic music box that tuned into Pandora plus about 20,000 AM and uh, FM internet radio stations all over the world. And it just set up with Wi-Fi. So, and this was way before everybody had iPhones. This is right 
when Android phones started coming out. So way, way ahead of the curve before, you know, a lot of the products we have uh, have today were, were available. What was it and, that... Uh, and, I'm sorry. Did you unleash Pandora's box? No. Really. Uh, we tried. <laughs> um, I, you know, I remember we, one year we had the uh, uh, top-selling product, uh, internet radio product for at Amazon, and uh, you know I used to go on air on, mm-hmm. on QVC and HSN and actually sell the product. So no kidding. Um, you know I actually had to go get certified and, and uh, go do my dance at four in the morning. And oh, I think it's worst thing is I was the shortest person ever to be on that show. So I was like staring up at the you know David and Goliath type feel uh, being on there. But uh, you know we we worked really hard and had a great team and um, real proud. Out of the the Livio crew, and really glad uh, they're still part of Ford and still 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 doing a great job. Yes, I, I did want to move to that transition uh, and talk about because that's a fascinating story in itself. But I, what I want to do is to introduce the other person who's in studio with us and who actually will be kind of carrying water for us in the second hour of the program. But we're delighted to have him with us as well. That's Caston Thomas, who is our cybersecurity expert. Uh, he's from Interworks. Caston, good to have you here. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, you should have a chef's hat on today. I understand though. I should because well, today is a big that's later i know but today is the big day the ninth annual chili cook-off at the thomas residence oh, <laughs> oh my. My. i hear that this is a neighborhood event uh it's more than a neighborhood it's it's a large group of our friends and family <laughs> that, that sounds wonderful and and actually Kasten and i uh go to breakfast uh on Friday mornings with a number of other security experts, and uh, Ooh. we missed you la- yesterday, so you'll, I, I'll, th- I'll fill you in on all the stuff. That I've been on. a busy boy. I can't yeah. wait to hear. There you go. <laughs> well, it, it's a, it is a busy time in cybersecurity. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Jake, I want to get back to you in the development of your businesses, because after that initial one with the internet radio, then you went on with Livio. Uh, you developed software in particular for was it car systems? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, the story goes: we were at the Consumer Electronics Show, the big show in Las Vegas every year. It's uh, you know hundred thousand people there. It's just an amazing show, and they they situated us um, in between two sections. One was the iPhone app companies mm-hmm. um, to our right, and to our left was the automotive companies and all the OEMs. So there's like this light bulb moment where we, at the time, we had this this really cool uh, car kit plugged into a 12 volt adapter, and this is again before all cars had Bluetooth and you know everything mm-hmm. else. So mm-hmm. um, clearly. Before before your car would connect to your phone and everything. So uh, we had this this car kit that helped you safely, you know, um, have calls in your car and, and get music over. And all these app companies came to us and said, this is really cool. Could we license your app and your technology? And they had these car companies coming over saying, this is really cool stuff. Can we just put this right in the car? So, um, you know, light bulb moment. And then we got in this whole uh, how to safely connect apps to cars to keep your hands yeah. on the wheel and yeah. uh, not on the phone, which is super, super important. That's important. Absolutely. Yep. I thought one of the other things, if I remember correctly about this that was important, was that each of the car companies seemed to be working to try to develop their own proprietary um, system. I, I was working, I think, with uh, uh, in the early 2000s with Daimler Chrysler, and they, I forget, you connect. Was right, that, was their system, mm-hmm. and then GM had. Um... Uh, yeah, I mean everybody had their own thing. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah everyone. You know, it, and I got to tell you, like, uh, there's been so much consolidation, and you know, we're what we, we've seen in auto is that you know Apple has their uh, CarPlay, Android has Android Auto, and uh, what's really stuck out is the Livio technology, which has morphed into Smart Device Link, which uh, powers Ford App Link, which is part of Ford right. Sync. So the the real the real question that kind of comes up, and and something you know, I think a lot of a lot of listeners would want to hear 
hear about is that, you know, do you want Apple or Google being in control of what's happening in the vehicle? And and that mm. that's something that's always come up. So it, it's a bit of a three-legged stool right now between um, Smart Device Link, uh, CarPlay, and, uh, and Android Auto. And it, there are definitely benefits to give uh, automakers that control and, and being able to have that flexibility to work mm-hmm. with the partners the way they want to work with and maintain safety. So I think the more significant aspect of what you did with Livo was that you sold it to Ford. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, that's, uh, that allowed you to do a lot of other things, like start the next one, right? Well, I got to tell you, you know, there, there's no better company in the world for us to, to have partnered with. And, um, you know, we just saw the world the same way. And, you know, it's a great team there. And as a testament to that, um, Livio is still an independent subsidiary for Motor Company. They've, mm-hmm. they've moved to Royal Oak. They've grown in size. Mm-hmm. Many of the team members are still there. And that's great. Very proud of that. I mean, a lot of companies just get wrapped up and, you know, assimilated into the big machine of a, of a company that's acquiring yep. them. And, yep. and they, they, maintain, they maintain their own and they're, they're producing great stuff. You know, we're gonna we're gonna want you to to talk uh, bring that up a little bit with our next guest too because we're gonna be talking about how do you build a culture of innovation, and a mm, lot of times yeah. our big companies are buying that innovation they don't want to ruin that culture so they leave you separate right? absolutely and that's what happens. So, As a matter of fact, we'll you mentioned back. our next guest is uh, Derek Bishop in Jamaica. Merry old England. I got it right there. <laughs> and he'll be calling us in just a few moments. We're going to be talking to him about building a culture of innovation. And that's I want to talk with you more about that too, Jake, in just a bit. Coming back in just a moment here on the Internet Advisor. I teased a little bit at the beginning of the show talking about the fact that we had a good news, bad news kind of program in the sense that uh, this first hour of the program is going to be about good news, about innovation. And the second part, we're going to be challenging some of the issues of dealing with fake news and exploring that with uh, one of the guests who's in studio right now. But in just a little bit, let me reintroduce people here. Mr. Gary Baker, of course, my co-host. You have been involved in starting a lot of businesses and innovating as well. There's been a little bit of innovation. And a few of that uh, going on, including this one uh, almost 19 years ago. And then we also have Jake Siegel in studio with us. And Jake, uh, you are the co-founder of uh, one more business this time around, a brand new business called Tome. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit because you're dealing with the um, the Internet of Things, and that I find absolutely fascinating. Um, Carson Thomas is with us. He'll be holding up the second hour of the program. We'll be talking about uh, Carson Thomas. Pardon me. Talking. About, <laughs> I, I'm going to rename you. I will baptize you afterwards. Um, I'll wear a name badge next time. <laughs> next time. <laughs> We're talking about uh, uh, secure cybersecurity with you, but you've also been involved in, in starting businesses. He owns I'm his right. own business right you now. You own your own yep. business. Yep. Well, we have somebody on here that Gary, you invited. Uh, us to bring into the conversation because you were so impressed with the book that he has co-authored. Uh, yes. And we're talking about Derek Bishop, who is on the line with us right now from Merry Old England. Derek, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Good to join you. Thank Derek, you. Derek, uh, they teased me a little bit about uh, innovation and and how much I, I care about it and all the different things that I've done over my career. But I, I read your book. I only have about 14 pages of notes. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to have to credit you the next two or three companies I go into. And <laughs> well, as long as it's come to practical use, then that's the main thing that we're trying to achieve. So uh, exactly. good to hear. And actually, you know, you say that. So why, why did you write the book? 
Um, uh, what was, um, you know, when we talk to CEOs and, and leaders within large organizations, you know, they all know that they, they need to innovate. And there's plenty of research and publications reinforcing this and stating that innovation is, you know, top three priority for over 70% of firms. But in many of the conversations we were having, um, the, 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 the questions were very much to come down to, how do we make this as part of our everyday life? And, mm-hmm. and you know, in doing that, where do we start? Um, and so we actually felt there was just a, a gap in terms of uh, a book that provided a practical framework for organizations to, to make that happen. And that's something we've been working on, um, working with organizations to achieve over the last few years anyway. So it was about taking our methodology and, um, and packing it into... Um, to quite a few pages. So this yeah. isn't just doing a what comes naturally as an entrepreneur? Um, it's uh, what comes naturally to an entrepreneur may be uh, somewhat different for a large organization or organizations that has been running for quite some time ah, because okay. you yeah. can actually, you know, as organizations grow, then they tend to lose some of that spirit and and also what you need as you grow is can be somewhat different to when you're in mm-hmm. the in the early years, and particularly in those those early years of startup. You know, we have Jake Siegel here, and uh, Jake has started now his third company that I know of. Now, I don't know if you had a (laughs) lemonade stand before that or something, but you sold the the second company to Ford, and Ford was very innovative a century ago. And then they got successful, and they got big. And then they had more management than leadership, uh, which is something that Derek and, and his co-authors have dealt with in the book. But, you know, they're, Ford bought your company because, and they're leaving it alone, Jake, because they don't want to kill that spirit of innovation that you started, right? Yeah, that's certainly a key component of it. And look, I, I got to tell you, the, the companies that we work with at Tome Software, we do we do a lot of the same, you know, that we're, we're helping large companies understand how to innovate, uh, innovate and, and really some of the opportunities and understanding how you can create entrepreneurial um, activities within that large organization. So a lot of the work that I'm doing now, um, aside from, you know, for some, some executives, they just say, I want to buy the internet of things. Please let me know what that is. And yeah. I'd like to buy it. And how much, and how much, <laughs> uh, and how much money can I make? Uh, a lot of companies right now are struggling with um, having, uh, you know, razor thin margins, their, their products are becoming commoditized and mm-hmm. they're seeing um, top line sales hold constant, but um, they're, they're, they're having uh, margin erosion. So the the real challenge there is you know creating services for the hardware business and um, sometimes in, in some cases you know hardware for the services business and looking for those partnerships. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that and and that's where uh, that's really where us as entrepreneurs get to come in and help. You know it's interesting because um, while companies can buy innovation, they really need to change the culture, really, don't they, Derek? In order for them to really start to innovate inside the company. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there is a place for buying in some innovation, but if you if you actually if that's what you rely on completely in terms of helping your business move forward, um, buying it in is just uh, for me is not actually long term sustainable, and, and actually you're missing a golden opportunity because within the organisation you have a huge amount of untapped uh, innovation capability, whether that's you know, utilizing some of the insight and intelligence that, that the, the people within the organization have got. You um, know, th- those those people are that are closest to the work, they, they kind of know what's supposed to happen, but sometimes the organization and all the processes and the management, that it gets in the way. How, do, how does a company go about getting started in that cultural change to, to maybe 
bring back a, a culture of innovation? I mean, I, the, some of the key things, certainly from a, a, a leadership point of view, there, there's got to be an agreed innovation mix and strategy. So, you know, not every organization will be able to go for radical uh, innovation. Some will only be able to do some small incremental, but looking maybe in between that for some differentiated innovation, they very much need to have a clear appetite and risk for what mix of innovation do we want to, uh, do we need in order to deliver our future growth? Um, And then it's a question of how do you embed that throughout the organization? So what insight and intelligence can you can you enable from within the organization to identify and spot those opportunities of you solving real customer problems or either current Mm -hmm. customer problems or anticipate the future needs Mm -hmm. and finding the solutions that will enable that you know you to address those needs and deliver it profitably, you know, and you know, enable the growth. Right. And, I, and I think, uh, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, products, products and services can be copied so quickly. Margins are being eroded, and technology is just advancing so quickly. But you know, if you can, one of the things that organisations often miss is about using that insight and the, and the insight that the frontline people can actually gain from interacting with customers to uncover the real. What are the real pains and real troubles of customers so that you can then go about solving those? Um, mm-hmm. And that, that for me, is set, setting that, um, what that innovation mix is and then how you embed it in by starting with the intelligence. And, you know, having got that intelligence, you know, many organizations really aren't geared up for, um, they're, they're quite functionalized, can be quite siloed. So they need to break that down and, yeah. and very much look for collaboration both in within the organization and mm-hmm. also out to to outside the organization as well. So by the way, Derek, know. I just want to tell people we're listening to Derek Bishop. He has uh, co-authored a book called Building a Culture of Innovation along with uh, Chris Besick and uh, Joe Garrity. And um, I, I how do you, you you've been talking about a practical approach to innovation. Can you give us some examples for those of us who maybe uh, haven't got the MBAs that, that Gary has and, and aren't the entrepreneurs that these other people are in the studio are? How, how has this changed companies that you've worked with? Well, I mean, uh, let me give you a story of, um, of, uh, of actually a very non-technology-driven one. Um, so, and, it, and people relate to it because most people have, uh, have been to one of these types of organizations. So as we work with a number of zoos and safari parks. And one, yeah, one example where, where we saw the benefits of this realized was that actually we, we changed the way that the staff viewed their visitors and started interacting with their visitors to really uncover, sort of start archetyping the types of customers, you know, visitors, okay. you know, the, the Derek- families, the grandparents, and then started getting them to, uh, what they identified is they had a lot of visitors who were coming in with really professional uh, photography cameras with yeah, big zoom Derek, lenses. i got to take a pause for just a minute and we'll be right back. I want to hear the end of the story because okay. it sounds fascinating. <laughs> Welcome back to the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, Gary Baker. We also have in studio a uh, guest with Jake Siegel is back in studio with us and Kasten Thomas also as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about those businesses. But we were in the middle of a conversation with Derek Bishop, who has co-authored a book called Building a Cultural of Innovation, 
uh, along with Chris Bessick and Joe Carity. And one of the key things about this is that this is written as a practical guide to large organizations to, it sounds like, to recapture that sense of innovation that may have driven them, like with Jake's business, you know, on a much smaller scale to do all sorts of crazy kind of things. But now they're a big company protecting, um, you know, shareholder benefits, et cetera, et cetera. How do we continue that? You were telling us the story of some of these safari companies and zoos and some of the insights that you gathered. So if you could recap that and continue with the story. Yeah, so... So we worked with the staff to help them really start to understand who their visitors to, to the safari park and the zoo mm-hmm. actually were. And they, they started identifying that they had, yeah, they had the typical families, but they had then the grandparents coming in with the grandchildren. But uh, they had the young lovers that, that were coming on a, on a date. But they also identified uh, a group of visitors who were coming, that were coming with very professional photography equipment. And they started sort of, you know, to having different conversations with those visitors and uncovered that actually the main reason for coming was to actually you know, practice their ability to take really up-close uh, pictures of, of animals. Uh-huh. And what the staff then identified was, well, why don't we... They, they came up with this fantastic idea of why don't we offer professional training courses for taking up-close photographs of animals. I love it. So then they they got a they tracked down a local uh, training a professional trainer uh, of this sort of stuff, and then they started running these courses in the, some new facilities that they actually had just previously recently built. So they started using their conference facilities, and so they opened up this new revenue stream of offering these uh, tr- uh, professional training courses. Then what they found was because they've been trained up, those those visitors signed up as members to the zoo. So paying annual membership, and they would therefore come back several times throughout the year in order to practice. Mm. Now, every time they visit, they're spending money on lunches, etc., coffees, um, and so all of a sudden they started dri- driving additional revenue streams. And then they took it one step further and thought, well, actually, why don't we reach out to, to specialist travel agents who organise holidays, safari holidays overseas, and. Uh, when they're booking customers for the, for those sorts of holidays, why don't we get them to upsell those opportunities to come on a professional, you know, learn to do professional photog- photography of animals? The net effect of that and a number of other ideas that all came through the staff with with very little technology solution was revenues rose thirty two percent within wow. one year. <laughs> but uh, but a lot of that was because of the data that they gathered, so kind mm-hmm. of data driven innovation. Yep. And surprise, surprise, they listen to the customer. Yeah, Absolutely. what do you know? <laughs> yeah. Is but I, it, it's, it's, it just, uh, just goes to show how unta- you know, tapping into to that capability within the organization can make a massive difference. Um, and they then were, were going out, they sought the, the, the organizations to collaborate with, the, the trainers, the travel agents, and they did all of that to make it happen. So it just goes to show you that you don't need a, a top-down sure. you know, approach to this, that actually we call it middle-out, you know, enable it from within the organization. Mm-hmm. So it's normally top-down and bottom-up, right? Yeah. I mean, don't is. you have to have both? You, you do, because you very much need to have, it, it, needs, to, it needs to be on the top team's agenda, because right. if it is, isn't, then it's not going to get the required energy and other things definitely become a priority. But you can't rely on just a top-down approach. You do need 
the, the bottom-up approach as well. So yeah. top-down needs to enable it. Um, otherwise, yeah, it just yeah, won't happen. Right, exactly. Jake, does any of this ring, ring a bell for you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the comment about like getting, um, you know, looking at the problem, the opportunity, you know, I, I find that um, you know, the term like rainmaker gets thrown around a lot, but, you know, th- these are people that are super passionate about the problem space mm-hmm. and they're not locked in. So, you know, getting new ideas from, from new employees, um, from interns, mm. from younger employees, uh, I mean, Google has, is famous for their 20%, um, and that, that's, that's something right. I've seen work well. Adobe has a really cool product they open sourced, which is, uh, um, and I'm going to you know blank on the name, maybe you can look it up for Gary, but it's like it's, like, it's an open innovation box where they, they give all of their employees this cardboard box with, uh, amongst other things, a debit card that they could buy <laughs> literally whatever they want. And oh my. I, I heard the pitch on this, and you can imagine HR is like, oh my God, what do these people buy? <laughs> Crazy things with their $20. And they're like, look, I think it's going to be okay. And you <laughs> know, like, we trust them to work here. <laughs> We trust them to have a prepaid debit card. Because I mean, you'd be surprised how many companies, you know, I'm sure you probably comment on this, but like how many companies you you literally couldn't buy a, a pad of paper and, and a pen with your corporate credit card without getting yeah. approval. So, you know, un- well, unlocking, you know, knocking down some of those barriers is, is key to getting that thing moving. I just like to uh, uh, welcome our listeners from WJR Radio in Detroit who have joined us following the Michigan State University uh, football game. Uh, American football, by the way, Derek, not not. Football, as you know it. <laughs> I'm teasing because uh, our host, who's, uh, pardon me, one of our guests on the line here is from England, is Derek Bishop, who has uh, co-authored a book about uh, creating a culture of innovation in companies, Can, getting companies to be able to practically, as they grow in size, to continue that spirit of innovation that may have got them going. Gary Baker, my co-host here over the years in, in the Internet Advisor, and also Jake Siegel is with us in studio, who has been our guest a number of times with many different companies. This time around, he's got Tome Software, which is involved in helping companies to be able to tap into the Internet of Things. And um, we can maybe talk about that in just and, a moment. And so we were talking that... Um, that Jake, your second company, you actually sold to Ford Motor Company um, because they were having trouble figuring out how to be innovative inside. They could buy innovation. They left just that company mm-hmm. alone and uh, and allowed you to continue that innovative process. One thing that really struck me about building a culture of innovation that Derek Bishop and, and his co-authors wrote was that they talk about Okay, that's one way to get innovation. You can buy it. Mm-hmm. But what if you want to change the organization so the innov- so the organization itself becomes more innovative? Derek, what are some of the triggers? What are the change points that have to happen in order for a, a larger company to kind of change, go back to its roots and become Critical innovative? issue for Detroit. Right. And yeah, they I mean, do a, somewhat of a good job, but they don't, not completely. So what has to change? There has to be, you know, to start with, there has to be a real grasp of the need to change and the need to do something different from the senior leadership team. So they've they've got to get the fact that, you know, this is intellectually and emotionally they need to be able to do this because, you know, know, the competition, you know, some of the competition um, will be from organizations or businesses that don't even exist today. And, and Jake's mm. probably a, a very prime example of that. So when you look at your competitive landscape, you, you've got to be prepared for the fact that competition is going to come out of nowhere. So first of all, they really have to get to grips with why do we need to change and mm-hmm. what do we need to do differently? And then set about, well, what, what is our risk appetite? And, you know, some of them just won't want to do the radical. They won't have the appetite for doing radical innovation. So what is it they need to do to do the you know the differentiated which is less risky but is a real opportunity a bit like the example of the zoo 
doesn't take a lot, but actually yeah. it can make a massive difference. So, you know, the, the, first of all, the leadership team really have to, to have that clear picture of why do we need to change and, and what are the existing capabilities we have. And then it's very much about assembling the team that, you know, throughout the organizations, you know, throughout the organization, bottom up as well, using innovation champions and giving them some of the tools and capabilities to, to gather the in, intelligence and not, and not just data, but the real insight and intelligence that will you know, Der- uncover the real problems. Yeah, Derek, you know, the one thing that, uh, that I liked was your 4E methodology, you know, educate, engage, empower, and enable those employees. They know what to do. They just don't think they have permission sometimes to go ahead and pursue something that might be a little more innovative. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. And, and often, um, with your know, employee engagement is talked about a lot. Employee engagement is vital for you to, to really have uh, innovation embedded within the organization. And so to do that, you've got to, you've got to give them the tools. And you know, in terms of embedding it, you need to make sure that all of the attributes that influence the culture, the policies, mm-hmm. the processes, the systems, the management you know, behaviors, all reinforce the innovation behaviors that you need. Yeah. Derek, we've run out of time, but in just a moment, we'll wrap things up. Hi, I'm Foster Brown, the co-host of the program, along with Gary Baker. And in studio, we have Jake Siegel, who was a friend of ours, been on here a number of times, and is currently uh, has a new business out called Tome. And I want to talk about that in just a moment. We're wrapping things up with our guest, uh, Derek Bishop, calling us from England. He is the co-author of a book called Building a Culture of Innovation, along with Chris Besick and Joe Garrity. And Derek, thank you so much for having joined us here. Uh, I, I have to end, Gary, I know you were so impressed with this, took tons of notes yeah, on this. Only 14 pages. Yeah, so. only 14 yeah. pages. This is focused in some ways towards larger companies. Um, but I, I have to tell you, I just finished, before we came here, watching a TED movie presentation. Derek, you're familiar with TED? Yes, I am, yeah. I'm sure. It's international. Um, And a guy named Steve Johnson was on talking about how innovation is tied to fun. And I thought, I I wondered, I can see the twinkle in Jake's eye because he's in the studio across from me. But, you know, when you get to a massive corporation, does that still apply? Um, You you do need to create a, a more of a relaxed, um, atmosphere to enable some of the innovation to take place. Whether it's uh, whether you find uh, the fun in the same way as you were in an entrepreneurial business, you obviously do with some with the likes of Google and Facebook, etc. But yeah, with some organisations, they they struggle with that, particularly if they have a very large operationally production service orientated function. Sure. Um, so, but you do definitely need to to create the freedom in order for the innovation, the exploratory, the bit of risk-taking to actually take place. I've well, seen, Derek, by the way, it's good, I was going to say, excuse me, but with Quicken Loans, a company in the Detroit area, and Jake, maybe you can comment on this, I, somebody gave me a tour of the building. They have a basketball court in the there. They have uh, a place where people can you talk about office supplies, get as yeah. much you want, food, et cetera, is, able, is, is accessible. They're extraordinarily successful in what they're doing. And it's not because they're feeding the animals well. <laughs> well, they are too. Doing that. I mean, they, I believe they have free food and coffee, and that's uh, you know, you know. But important. even with the size that, that Dan Gilbert's got going there, I mean, it's just enormous what they're doing there. They still have kept that element. In. Yeah, but and a lot of those are just props, really. Uh, but true. what they really do well is, and and Derek really talks about it in the book, which is, you know, even when they fail, 
it's they considered that a learning experience, yep. not something that should right. be punished. And and Derek, that's an important part of a culture of innovation, right? It, it is fundamental, and that that goes um, that changes the way that you lead and manage people, so that actually you know people aren't driven for 100 percent accuracy or getting it right first time, but actually the freedom to be able to try a few different things. Yeah, have longer conversations with your customers to get that insight rather than feeling you're being right. driven purely by productivity. So mm. it, that, that's where some of the, you know, it, it's not necessarily fun. It's about shifting the culture to enable this different types of conversations and ideal, ex, you know, idea exploration mm. to actually happen rather than, you know, the very, you know, tightly managed. Right, um, exactly order-taking sort of uh, environment. Jake, you were going to say something? Yeah, you know, with uh, the startups, you know, we, we embrace failure, and we even at our company have a thing called the fail brick, and, uh, you know, you get you get this brick with our Tome Owl logo passed around. It's a badge of honor, and if it's not getting passed around, I want to know why. For our larger, our, and we work primarily with Fortune 500 companies, and the, the word fail is still a very dirty word in large businesses, and, yeah. and the term that, that seems to resonate well with, with our business, with large companies, is uh, learning fast, right. you know, and that's, uh-huh. that's, a, that's a great way to kind of keep it positive, and making sure it's properly funded and you know learning fast allows that that uh, innovation culture to happen in large corporations. I've always talked yeah, so many. T- we adopt a similar, a very similar sort of thing of you know sooner rather than perfect. You know, fail fast. <laughs> I like yeah. that. It's that. It's just about you know this. Get it out there. Get it out the the, the new products and services out there and test them with customers rather than trying to design the perfect answer internally because. Yeah. You, you're, you're, you can never actually achieve that. It's better to get out there and learn really fast. Derek, yeah. I want to thank you so much for being with us. We've unfortunately run out of time here, and uh, it's been a delight talking with you. Uh, we will, by the way, on our, ho- our homepage, internetadvisor.net, we will post uh, links to the book so you can find out. You can get the book yourself and, and join Gary in taking copious notes. Um, again, it's called Building a Culture of Innovation. And Derek, I want to thank you so much, Derek Bishop, for being with us and wish you the very best. Thank you very much for having me. It's been it's- a pleasure. Thank Good you, having Thank you, too. Jared. I wanted to make sure, Jake, before we get out of the hour, that we talk about your newest business, which is this tome. Yeah, yeah. Because of, of what you tap into with the Internet of Things. Yeah, it's super cool. You know, I... Um we have the opportunity to work with with some of the largest customers in the world on the most interesting problems in the world, and and just like we were talking about earlier about you know large company innovation is one of the things I've learned as a startup is that you know it's possible to change the world with a startup. But it's really hard, and you and it's it, you got a lot of odds against you. And I've been on the winning side of that, but I've, I I came so close to you know financial and business death along the way that I thought <laughs> we could leverage the larger corporations, and not only do they have the working capital and the brand, but you know they, they have a much more uh, horsepower to really kind of get something done. So that's what we've been working on now is, is really helping large companies that have been making products for the last uh, 50 to 100 years and get, getting them connected. You know, getting Give them us connected. an example of one. So uh, one example is a, a furniture company called Human Scale. Uh, they are a, a major player. I believe they're top five in the world with, with uh, um, furniture, ergonomic furniture that stand desks. And we created a product called Office IQ. It's, a, uh, it's kind of like a Fitbit for your desk. It'll help you know when it's time to stand, when it's time to sit. And all of this is, a, is all this 
sensors are on furniture instead of people, which is a big thing for oh, for corporate sure. offices. Yeah. Uh, we've also done quite a bit of work uh, with Ford Motor Company, so I'm very proud that you know even after the Livio, um, you know, project and, and after the acquisition, we're Your software we, company, yeah, yeah. So our new company, Tome, we're we're part of um, uh, projects helping Ford within uh, mobility, and it's really exciting. And I got to tell you, you know, like just to see like where Ford's been and and the amount of investment they've put into innovation and mobility in the last few years has been awesome. I mean, we've been in, involved in health and wellness products and we've worked on some really cool uh, bikes and talking about how bikes can be part of mobility and very mm. proud of that as an avid cyclist wow. and racer. <laughs> I love it, yeah. So, uh, now, Jake, this is, dream, by the yeah. way, uh, with the internet of things, in other, uh, you're talking about, as you said, not plugging into the people, but into the things that are around them in ways that's going on right now yeah, talking refrigerators yeah. or whatever. Yeah, well, actually, it's a great point. I mean, we we always make the the uh, like I think slide two of my deck is usually you know you don't want to make a connected crockpot. So um, <laughs> you know we, we like to focus on the why of Internet of Things and and the why involves business development, involves user experience and human machine interface, and of course there's the technology piece. So large corporations give me a call and really talk about the the problems they're most passionate about, the kind of companies they want to be working with, and you know camera companies want to do more than just connect their camera to Facebook, and you know cars want to do more than just connect their car. To to, you know, an app on a phone, which, you know, I like using that example because it's something we did when it was, sure, it was a new sure. thing. <laughs> so really looking at the, the future and um, even back to that earlier conversation is that making sure that everyone's got what we call our one, two, three is like they know what they're doing, they know why they're doing it, and they have all the tools they need to do their jobs. Yeah. The enablement part as well as the engage and empower. Yep. Exactly, yep. exactly. And this is so this is something that you are kind of now coming in as a consultant to these major corporations and helping them to cope with the fact yeah. that they're living in a connected world. Yeah, I mean, with big corporations, they call us. We start off with um, it's, I hate I hate the c word for consulting, but you know, we do a little bit of discovery phase. We call that our phase zero process, and then we move immediately into rapid prototyping, and that's a, a that iterative process. So large corporations can learn fast, and we can leverage quite a bit of things that large corporations just can't do for IT security reasons or anything else. And you know, we can stand something up on an Amazon web server where large corporations, you know, you would never be able to do that in a production environment so and from there it's product development so full, Jake you're a hard spread. man to keep up with because you keep on doing and you keep on innovating and it's a delight to have had you on the air with us again Jake Siegel has been our guest here at tomesoftware.com yep is the name of his new company and we will link to that again on our internet advisor net site. So thank you again so much for coming. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. It's always a delight to have you with us. Uh, we're going to take a break, Gary, for just a moment. When we come back on the other side, we will continue with our podcast and our affiliates and those who join us in our podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, fake news, which yeah. has been a very big, very big problem in our recent presidential campaigns, etc. Where uh, not only that, but so well, not other only ways that, too. and that's yep. the point too, is that. Who do you believe? You know, I heard it on the internet. <laughs> it's no longer a good way of judging whether it something is was. <laughs> true or not. My name is Foster Brown. Gary Baker and I will continue in a moment. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to MITechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. 
Now, let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Welcome to hour number two of the Internet Advisor. I'm Foster Brown, and we have had quite a program going today talking about the fun stuff, innovation in our first hour, the second hour. We're talking about some pretty heavy stuff, and that is fake news. And a very serious question about how that has affected our country recently and going on. Who do you trust anymore to be bringing you the real deal? All that coming up on the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Hello and welcome again to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. It's been quite a day here of uh, our program in the first hour talking about uh, innovation and how to keep that going when businesses get huge and uh, are very risk adverse. How do they keep on innovating? They got to do it. And uh, we have... In studio with us, some people that will continue that conversation with a little bit. That's Jake Siegel, who is now this time around. He's the uh, the boss at Tome Software, and we'll talk more about that. But right down the second hour, we're going to be focusing on the problem, Gary Baker, of fake news, which has been a very serious issue. And, and to help us do that, we have in studio some that you're very familiar with. That's right, Kasten Thomas. Uh, and Kasten and I met, uh, and we get together every Friday morning with a group of security experts. And uh, iWorks is a company that Kasten started that uh, is an ex- excellent um, security company that really, Kasten, you deal with not the big, everybody kind of knows kind of security companies, but some of the bright, innovative new ones that are just now... Uh, bringing product to market that are even better than some of the the big ones, right? Well, that's where the innovation comes from. If yeah. We're going to do a segue yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. The really innovative uh, security breaches that have evolved uh, are coming from innovative hackers. So I was going to say the hackers certainly have done that. They've demanded that the industry stay on its toes, and we just have to stay one step ahead, right? Well. <laughs> or try you know, to stay less than one step behind, right? <laughs> well, isn't it, isn't it kind of... Uh, Cassin, first of all, it's good to have you with us in the studio. Thank you so <laughs> much. Great to be here. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, Pete, because for a long time, Gary, you and I, not since almost over the course of 20 years, right. we have been talking about security companies, and people always have wanted to know, okay, what's the security suite I should put on? And for a long time, it was an A name, Norton, or McAfee, or you know, fill in the blank. Uh, and we've had well, those were young companies. At plenty the time. of them on the air with us at the time, mm-hmm. and we seem to have gotten to a place where we've gone beyond that, over that edge. There is no one big company, I don't think anymore. Is there? Kasten? There's no one big company, but you know it's always a changing landscape, that's and that's it, what yeah. our company's trying to do for large organizations, you know, large corporations and city and state government. You know, we're looking at what's over the horizon, who's the next game changer, and what's coming uh, that allows us to find the bad guys faster or fix things faster or do the same thing with, you know, an order of magnitude, less number of people to do that. You know, that is why I thought that you are just the person to have on to talk about this, the subject of fake news, because it it means getting behind and finding out what's the real deal back here. Sure. What what are motivations that are involved in this? What is somebody trying to get me to do or to think, et cetera? And who can I trust? That's huge. In cybersecurity, isn't that what it's all about? Who can I trust anymore? Well, well it but comes it's back to the X-Files. Trust no one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always been that oh, way. What a world. It's oh. always been that way. Who do you trust? Some people trust the Detroit Free Press. Some people trust the Detroit 
Detroit News. Some That's people true. Trust MSNBC. Some people trust Fox News. And I can somebody I right. Can, I mean, well, but and we had few. Everybody people. has a spin. Yeah, and sometimes outright difference of opinion on the, what the news is. I, I and, think some uh, of those it seemed to be it was seemed to be easier. Jake, I'm going to bring you into the conversation as well. Jake Siegel is with us, and we're going to be talking about some of his uh, software products, et cetera. But, Jake, you, you're younger than, than most of us who are here right now. I can think of a time when it seemed to be a simpler matter. Yeah. Like, I, there was Royal Walter Cronkite. There was Huntley Brinkley. You know, or you could go back to Edward R. Morrow. Right. And this is, I'm backing up to World War II times, you know. And, and the heydays of radio, when WJR, for instance, was a beacon. I mean, you tuned in there because you had, and you could name the people who were there that were your beacon of truth. And they had to be vetted so many different ways. And they wouldn't put something on that didn't have exactly. two or three different sources that collaborated. Yeah. And so now it's a race to Jake, get something Jake, where do you go there. for that? Kind, can you find that kind of assurance? You know, I've really struggled you know, we're talking about this a little bit at the break, is that um, I, I think that, you know, now, especially for millennials, it's like, you know, the internet is is a is a place, not a source. And everything is is coming through some sort of a digital means. You know, for me personally, what, what I really struggle with is that, you know, with, with how hard it's been for traditional media, you know, with, with the consolidation, with a lot of the full-time reporters going over to contract and freelance and Absolutely. doing this paper and this paper and this Papers blog. Papers disappearing. You, you're really, you're getting your news from a person writing an article that goes through an editor, in, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. you know, rather than the, you know, when I was growing up, it really felt like, you know, when you're reading something underneath the New York Times or underneath, you know, the Boston, whatever, it's like that was, that was the credibility that was attached to it where now i feel like you're really limited to just the the author and that's that's what that's what you have to go with so you have to make choices uh quite differently now than you did in the past hmm i you still have to vet the news if you will yeah well uh, and and becomes a tougher thing to do nowadays i think well, I mean, for me, and I, I mean, I get my news primarily from uh, Flipboard. It's it's an app, and and it and it consolidates various uh, sources by type. Yes, and yes. my business partner gets his news primarily through Reddit and and stuff that gets filtered up through the top. So mm. you know, and being able to see like you know what like the comments and and who's who's pushing up. And I, I'm very actually very interested to hear a lot about um, from a security perspective and kind of how we see about fake news and what defines it. So that's that's fascinating to me. And you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm really excited to hear a lot about. Well, this. let's let's cue off. Off of that, then, uh, Castor, how what is fake news and how do you define it? <laughs> well, one of the problems that I see right now is any number of people with their own agendas are trying to co-opt the word fake news. Mm. And so what we have to do immediately is discern between slanted news and, you know, that can be... Which has actually been around for a long time. Absolutely. You right. go back in history, American history, to yellow press. Absolutely. American history goes long before that. <laughs> well, yeah, even before, yes, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the old adage that uh, the person who wins the war is the one who gets to write history. And, and that's so and that's true, true yep. right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, you've got slanted news. You've got outright falsified news. Uh, you've got irresponsible journalists who are rushing things to mm-hmm. to without doing their fact-checking. And then you've got parody news. And That's so, true. like the know, onion, like the onion. Right. I, I mean, I love the onion. I do too. You know, <laughs> I think everybody loves the onion. But but, but, but I have maybe for humor, not for news. <laughs> and if my dad's listening from Atlanta, Georgia, I'll 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 
say, sorry, Dad, I got I got to spill the beans. I've gotten a couple of news articles from my father from the Onion saying, "Can you believe this?" <laughs> you go, it's from the Onion. No, I can't. But we so, all- so I, you know, I initially said, "Okay, I got to triangulate." Right. So I lead. I read three different sources. And if they all seem to be in sync, then I believe it. And then I started to figure out they all quoted the same single source. That's it. And they were just so now I'm looking for things. If they say it the exact same way, use the same words, I'm going, okay, that came from one source. Now I got to go find somebody else to see if that's true. You know what I'm wondering? I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned, Jake, that all of these great news sources, the the Boston Globe, uh, you keep on Detroit the, Free Press, the, what, pra, the whatever New York the, Times, New York the Times, Washington Post, right? All the you know, big ones, right? They're, they're all. And the Enquirer. Let's not forget the Enquirer. That was true. That's true. But I mean, (laughs) they all have editors, you know, and they've been they've been going downhill. They've been having to get you know lay people off, et cetera. I'm wondering Ben Bradley today, right? I'm wondering if they won't have a resurgence because of the problem of having sources that you can trust to have edited and fact checked and things like that. I'm wondering if that may not be the result of this whole fake news business. Pastor Thomas with us. I've got a bridge to sell you, I think. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, Kasten, I want to find out some more things about some tips for us on how to filter our news. Great. Foster Brown, it's it's been hard to keep the conversation paused (laughs) with our guest in studio here (laughs) before we can get back to talking about the whole issue of news you can trust anymore and the whole issue of fake news and the impact that that's had on political races and everything else. Uh, Gary Baker, of course, in studio with me. And we have as well Jake Siegel, who is uh, with us, uh, visiting us in the first hour talking about innovation. Now we're continuing the conversation talking about news. And Kasten Thomas from Interworks is with us. Kasten, uh, bef- I know you have to get on quickly, so I want to um, have you give us some pointers. And by the way, folks, we'll post these things on our, our homepage as well, so you can take a look at uh, some of the things that he's gathered here. Some sometimes, key issues. Some yeah, key sometimes issues they're idea. not, it's not um, really uh, something that's just completely not factual. Sometimes it's just bias, right? What's that called? Confirmatory bias. Okay, and so it's, to it's, explain that. It's the chemical biological nature that we all have to be attracted to facts, news, information that we agree to. Agree oh, with. yes. Yeah, if we, we hunt out sometimes that news because it confirms what we suspect yeah. or, and I can or want, of, to, want to suspect. We, right? we actually of, get uh, uh, a rush of those chemicals that please the brain when someone oh, the endorphins. with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. And, and no bigger source than of, 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 of endorphin uh, junkies than, than Facebook. No comment. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Twitter. Oh my goodness! That you know, during the, the run up to the last election, that was you just. Yeah. I, all I could do was shake my head. Sometimes you know that people were. It was an echo chamber, essentially, and and to say that Facebook was a source for news, and some people are really challenging. As a matter of fact, Zuckerberg and uh, Twitter uh, about being and Google about Jake not being responsible in terms of what they let slip through as headlines or news. Yeah, I mean, I we talked again a little bit to the break. Is like, you know, Cassie, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts. Is like, how do you define, you know, like the responsibility versus open? I mean, when you, what happens when you start giving control to companies on what gets shown to what people see? Oh, well, 
that that <laughs> brings us down what I would call the slippery slope. And yeah. just for full disclosure, I'm no by no means an expert on this topic, so yeah. I don't want to start getting emails no, that no, are no. saying you're giving false information, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> but our opinion and your opinion, my uh, opinion, okay. <laughs> uh, it it really comes down to. Um, how do we vet the news? Yep. And we're all in this situation of information overload. There's so much oh, thrown really? at us. I mean, yeah. you can spend, you know, my wife's like, are you coming to bed? And I go, yep, right away. And then two hours later, I've been oh, on Twitter yeah. or Facebook or whatever. And it's like, it seemed like five minutes. But, you know, the the visual nature of YouTube and what we're attracted to, we can get lost in it. Mm-hmm. And so we really come to a point where what is news? Yeah, you know it what's gets, important. What to gets us? scary for me too is that visually, things can get manipulated so easily, either well, by just taking a certain perspective or angle on it, which is you know if you will the paradigm for news gathering, just a certain perspective on it. But you can also fake it. You can also doctor the images. So we can't believe our eyes even anymore. Right. And this comes back to what you were talking about, Foster. You know, what are the motivations? You know, some people want to use a news site because it's going to attract someone there so they can install malware onto the machine. Oh, yes. There is that purpose going on, too. So if you're seeing a lot of pop-ups on your, quote, news site, unquote, that's a real good indicator that somebody might be messing with your, either your mind or your computer, or maybe both. Yeah, or your bank account if they can get their hands on it. Sure. Uh, You know, and and there are a lot of tricks that people use uh, in order to fake a website. So it's always good to look at the URL address, you know, up in that uh, address uh, banner at the top of your web browser to say, what am I looking at? You know, there's a site called www.abcnews.com.co. Oh, and and, y- and it looks your like the ABC News. ABCnews.com, but not the .co. Yeah, so if you're seeing a .co or a .ru, which is a Russian site, it's a good indicator this may not be or probably isn't uh, a trustworthy news site. Do I know that, that there's another one called .lo? Am I right? Is there another you know, one? There's a, there's a there's a .io. There's a .marketplace. There's .tv. Yeah. yeah. And you know anybody with ten dollars in a GoDaddy account can go out and buy a new web address. So you really have to be cognizant of what you're looking at and what the source of the information is. So pop-ups in the news is something to watch out for. Uh, to be on uh, what other kind of key things. Uh, I would say if you keep seeing a recurring theme over and over and over, Uh you know, whether it's global warming, positively or negatively, if you're seeing something that's white supremacist or, Mm. you know, uh, uh, Zionistic, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And and that's really one of the... One of the tricks, right, is that um, the bad guys use those kind of inflammatory words to draw in yep. the kind of people that yep. would be attracted to those words, yep. right? And Absolutely. That's, that's an indication that there could be malware or worse behind it. If you, if you find that a, that a website that's purporting to be news is appealing to emotion or using emotional words by calling a particular political figure, you know, an idiot or yeah. uh, always and, driving and home. now that the, the um, election campaigns are over, that probably wouldn't make mainstream news. 
<laughs> maybe it it still. <laughs> Guys, do you think it's safer to have uh like to be using on a mobile device uh, is there like in your opinion between like you know working on a, a pc or a mac as opposed to your your phone or your, your tablet do you think that there's a, a safer way to 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 kind of protect not just the information but also the you know what you're giving access to mm. no i i don't think so just because now that more news more information is being accessed on mobile devices particularly Android, you're seeing a lot more malware, a, mo- a lot more uh, innovation coming. You know, one one true thing about hackers is they do follow the money. You know, and one thing that, um, that I've noticed is that because we are all using our mobile phones more, sometimes you can't check in the normal way that you would um, whether that link is accurate or not, because there's no mouse rollover. Yeah, you that right tell. click to copy and yeah, kind of see. That's right. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do that. I'll, I'll right click and then co- manually copy it in just to make sure. And even sometimes if something's coming in from a bank or something that seems legit, but just I just want to make sure. Yeah. But you, I can't do that on my mobile phone. That's right, right. and that's I'm, a that's a problem that people don't understand. And yeah. I've seen that where, you know, people that are really smart have sometimes gotten caught by that. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm curious why you choose Flipboard because I do I do too. Yeah, um, I mean I I think that um, and again like this is my personal opinion is that you get a little bit of everything and and it also allows me to pick certain channels and it rolls my Twitter feed in and with you know the amount of uh, people I follow on Twitter and the amount of feeds that come in it, it's it's unmanageable for me to use the Twitter app but the important things I actually get through Flipboard and I'm able to share with people and then add to another feed so I feel like it's my um, curated and aggregated source of, of news articles. Two important curated, words, by the way. It's certainly aggregated. It's curated. It's curated. I, I believe because from, you've curated it. Uh, because well, I haven't news, curated it, but because I mean, of the news sources that you've selected. Um, just the the feeds that I follow. I follow a startup feed, which is very very well curated. Uh, I like the the business feed. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's curated, and um, you know, I, there's no stats to show click to flip ratio. I should probably look into that, but um, you know, I, I find that it's the right balance, and I haven't found anything better. I, I use it too, but it's an aggregator. I do too. Yeah, it's an aggregator. Yep. I go back to the actual news source to determine, you know, the authenticity of the source. Yeah, anything that's really strong, I usually try to check. But you know, yeah. if it's just kind of a FYI thing, then and I'm not. I mean, these aren't really hard issues. I'm reading on right. Flipboard, so. Yeah. You know, Caston, I'm gonna. Uh, I will be posting or linking to uh, a list that came out. There was um, um, a professor, I think, at a university who. Uh, uh, created a list of fake news sites. Oh, was it fake or oh, what was the the catchword that she used? Um, kind of um, iffy sites and things like that. Right. Or or satirical sites. Yeah, she was from Merrimack College, and That's right. she's now catching a lot of grief. Oh, because, bet she is. Uh, a lot of the sites were more slanted than being fake news. That's exactly it. Well, and she tried to just she tried to to, to shade it as she could. I was just wondering, you know. Who is going to sue her and how often yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on this? Casta, I thank you so much. For, you had to take off. And uh, we're going to stick here. And uh, Gary and uh, I are going to continue the conversation with Jake in studio. But thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Welcome back. It's the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and Jake Siegel in studio. This has been a wild day. Uh, just for reasons that will go down. And when we write our memoirs, we'll tell you why. If it was we such could a crazy... only write a book. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a crazy day. Uh, Jake, it's been so good to have you with us in studio here. And we really haven't had a chance to, and I, and I want to talk a little bit more about this. So don't, only, don't let us get away before we do this. Talk more at your current company and what you're doing and how you got to that place. But uh, before we get off this subject of fake news or slanted news, etc., um, it's interesting because we have such a generational difference here. You know, for me, news wasn't something that I had to work at when I grew up. It was something that you trusted certain key people That's for, right. like a Walter Cronkite or a Huntley Brinkley or, uh, um, or you, you could name any number of different people um, and or certain news channels. Can you re- I know, Gary, you probably can remember growing up where maybe your parents watched Channel 7 or That's watched right. Channel you had, 4. You had your favorite exactly. local news, right? And to be honest, a lot of that had to do with the people who were doing the news. I love the British way well, of calling it. They talk about news readers, <laughs> which I think is a lot uh, more honest. Yeah, they calling them makes news sense. people. Yep. A lot of it had to do with the fact you had three options. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and then a few newspapers, right? Mm-hmm. So that was it. Mm-hmm. But And we had in town a number of good news. But then we had the phenomenon happening. Uh, and I forget the year that it happened exactly. When the uh, when they got together, they became the new the newspaper. What do they call it? The uh, Detroit newspaper. Oh shoot! Uh, the joint partnership. Joint right. partnership yeah. got together essentially. Right, but they kept their editorial staff separate, and they, they did published different newspapers at different times. So it was generally the back end that really was the uh, the the com- combination between the news and the free press and, and Gannett. Uh, did that. But but you had that kind of thing going on where people were were kind of you know conglomerating that or, or, or consolidating rather that and pulling it together. Right. So that's that's the background I'm coming from. Right. What is it that you, as somebody who are more in the, what was it, millennial? Or? Yeah, barely. Like I'm the last yeah. or the first, very Just, first the millennial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what has been I your experience? I would claim too if I could. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it really comes down to, uh, like we were talking about earlier in the show, is it comes down to trust. And then, you know, you're getting, you're getting your information from um, an author, uh, not necessarily a company or a, and by company, I mean like, you know, a journalistic organization. Sure, sure. So that's sitting around a newsroom. An Associated and, Press or a Washington Post or whatever you want exactly. to call it. Exactly. Uh, so I, I think the other thing too is that... You, you, when you when you have um, different feelings about different issues that may be going on, or or you see something, it, it only takes one thing that rubs you the wrong way, and then you know you you try to say you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. and and I feel like that happens a lot, especially with this day day and age, and, and everything's just so fast. Is that you see one thing, or somebody made this wrong call in, in the news too soon, and then you just throw everything else out with it. So mm-hmm. it, it's really tough. I'm, I think that the 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 good thing about what's going on right now, I, I think it's going to force our country to do a better job of, of being accountable and responsible for the reporting and being balanced and this that's it yeah. o- entrepreneurs people like me that are that are into new I'm people that are like me but are doing that not in tech but doing it in news will probably figure out better ways to uh, to keep this accountable and and keep things moving so I'm really excited about the opportunity out of these challenges so you, I, okay. I, know a, I, I know a couple people that friends of my daughters um, 24 25 years old they don't think there is such a thing as news the way I used to think about uh, it, right? Yeah. And they just think of it as this this company has an opinion, this person has an opinion, I read this because they have an opinion, and they don't, they, they just don't trust anybody. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. other people probably trust too much, but 
Well, I mean, when there's trust, you don't really have to cite all your sources and do like a book report when you're in grade school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it's going to come more on that shift of the scale. Um, I think in in tech, it's so easy to Google something. And remember, you remember you used to be able to like uh, try to say who's that actor or what movie was was he or she in. And, you know, now it's not even worth arguing because you can solve it. it IMDb. (laughs) So um, unfortunately, that's not the same case where uh, when you see news, it's like, well, is this how 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 authentic is this? And if, if it's if there isn't a video first person, it's almost like turning into a court of law. And then the noise is just so off putting to millennials. Right. So yeah, yeah. this this will get resolved. I, I'm very optimistic that, that this will get resolved. All right. Now, as a technologist, both of you guys, what do you think of the whole business of having algorithms determining what's news and what's not news or, for instance, controlling uh, what th- we see or hear. I think it's a great idea as long as I get to write them. <laughs> I, I think it's a great idea um, as, as long as you use as a tool. You know, as a product developer and, and as someone that's, uh, you know, I'm a systems engineer. Not many people know that. I, you know, went to school and, and process. And anyone that's worked with me knows I'm a huge process guy. And, and knowing that it's a tool, not an absolute, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, if people look at scores, it, it'd be like if you're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score for a movie and you're going to decide the how you feel about the movie based on that score. It's a tool, it's an indicator, and sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. So I feel like algorithms can do a great job, and you know whether it's Pandora Music going through a Livia Radio music box or it's something on your newsfeed, I think that, uh, that it's a great tool that needs to be treated appropriately. Yeah, and as long as uh, you don't have the same algorithms as the ones that were used in all the polls leading up to the presidential <laughs> election last few weeks, um, you know, so they can be wrong as well, right? It's just they're, they're as good as the person that wrote it. I was just looking for the article that came out today about Twitter. Twitter had said that they were going to, uh, they had an algorithm that was going to work now to control things, and some white supremacist thing made it through the algorithm. Yeah, that's what's really scary about um, any, the idea of using news and control sounds really scary to me. Yes. And, you know, I, you know, I was having this conversation with my wife on the way over to the station here, is that, um, a studio, is that, I think of Facebook as like internet version five, you know, and like at some day Facebook or whatever, if Facebook, if there's a new Facebook, it's just the internet, which is basically the paper. So um, what's really scary to me is the thought that somebody can control what somebody sees or doesn't see. And it takes away that, that choice Mm -hmm. and that power from somebody reading to make their own decision on it. It gets scary when you start being able to alter videos, alter audio, and then somebody thinks it's authentic and it's not. And that's the problem, isn't it? Yes. That isn't it. So it's not just that I don't have the the, the freedom to, to make this choice, but somebody is actually stacking the deck. Well, but they do that all the time, right? And I don't want to mention anybody's name who maybe creates a documentary and out of a hour um, newscast or out of an an hour interview... They pick a certain words and put them together and a certain sentences and leave out the context, and all of a sudden you got a different meaning, right? Yeah, it's the balance, it's the age old balance of freedom of expression, something we value terribly in this country. Freedom of expression. But that trust is the other element that comes into it. Jake, in just a moment, we come back, I want to find out about Tome, your new software company. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having joined us for this very interesting Internet Advisor. I hope it's given you some uh, pause for thought. We'll have lots of resources. Kasten Thomas has left us with his list of suggestions for things to keep in mind when we look at the news, and I'll be posting that. And then uh, we'll also have that list of um, uh, sites that was developed of um, 
fake sites, quote-unquote fake sites, and then some that are kind of shady and some are satirical. We'll let the, yeah, so you can take a look at it and make your own decisions on it. Um, but we will also uh, be linking up to um, the website for our guest, Jake Siegel, and his brand new company, which is not brand new. It's been out for a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, April 14th. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. For a couple of years now, it's called Tome software. Give us a little background on that again. Yeah, so we are a software company. There's about 18 of us in downtown Royal Oak, and uh, we are focused on helping large corporations get their products they've been making for, in some cases, 100 years connected and and providing value to uh, their customers and their users. When you say connected, what do you mean? I mean, taking something that's traditionally not connected, your widget, and then getting it on the internet, connecting it with uh, third-party services, and creating uh, new opportunities, new services, new Uh value. You know, we we saw um, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, um, when DIN was uh, hit with a, den- a distributed denial of service attack, mm-hmm. and most of that was coming from the Internet of Things, <laughs> yes, right? Well, you know, so we get such a bad rap on that. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I got I got to jump in. Is it is it you know, inter- like the Internet of Things is is a little bit of an annoyingly vague term, and right. and uh, for Hugely. for the for the tech listeners out there, they're like, yeah, you know, it's. It used to be called, you know, a hundred different things, and it's not new. You know, we were doing it before it was called the Internet of Things. Uh, you cannot just buy some product and ship it and not put on its proper security and then hope for the best. And that's no mm. more uh, clear than right here in the automotive capital of the world that you've got to lock your, your products down. And that usually is what's the culprit is, is you know, open networks to be able to connect to these well, things. Well, nobody, when they, they first started, now not anybody putting out a product today that is going to be connected to the Internet, I I got to believe they're putting security on it. Um, And I'm sure you guys do that. But back when, you know, a lot of these things were sold, not all that long ago, Mm -hmm. but even three, four, five years ago, right? A security camera. Who's going to use a security camera to do anything other than, you know, a secure, you know, to take pictures, right? To take videos. Well, they are now. Now we know about it. How do you get those out of the environment? Because until you do, they're somewhat unsafe. Well, I, I think like a lot of things, you just have to be able to offer a product or a service. So, I mean, I, I, if they're not out there today, and, and I'm sure there will be shortly like tools that are brought to you by retailers, you know, companies like Best Buy or Amazon say, so download the app and check your network and we'll make sure that everything's secure. Now, obviously, it's a very dangerous proposition. Anyone's telling you to download something and check your security, you got to make sure it's from mm-hmm. a, a well-trusted source but um, and it's no different than you know running antivirus software from a process is that mm-hmm. like you know you learn oh you know I, I better check on my security of the, of the products and services I'm using and you know it's no different than back in like the early 2000s when people would have like Linksys uh, was router name oh, password yeah. was admin admin and <laughs> right. you know right. actually I hope I'm or not nothing. Nothing. <laughs> secrets on the show but you know it's uh, <laughs> no 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 it's uh, you know it's 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 just a, a, a more complex version of that 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 problem Jake well, are there any particular excuse me are there any particular industries uh, or products that lend themselves better to this kind of a connection? You know, I, I, uh, um, I'm sure like a lot of startup, uh, entrepreneurs would probably shoot me for saying this, but, uh, I gotta say that, um, I feel like if you're working with, uh, major brands that have the resources to do the proper due diligence on their products before they ship, you do run, uh, I believe less of a probability of this problem happening. Now this could happen because at the end of the day, there's people, people make great yes. products, you yes. know, and people make bad products and people make all sorts of products. So it's, it comes down to the engineering team and the software release team and the QA, quality assurance, quality control teams. But I, I do feel like w- that that when you are 
picking up products that maybe have been Kickstarter backed. Is that there may be some mm. corners that that they've been in, even even inadvertently cut? Like they may not realize that they don't do something they they knowingly have done. In fact, there's a um, a friend of mine that had an issue like that with this company where he, he shipped uh, I think about a few hundred thousand products and they forgot to turn something off in the software before they Aye. shipped it and. You know, it wasn't malicious. No, and, no, but no. you know, I, I just wonder. Mistake, right? Yeah, I just wonder when you say like, is there certain products that that lend to it? I think it's not. It's more of a function of um, who's releasing the product and their and their 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 quality release cycle. Which, as a user and a consumer, you have no idea. And the only thing you can really bet on, and kind of like a very similar, we talked about the news, is like, what's the brand that you trust that they're going to be able to uh-huh. to do that, keep you updated, and go. So, uh, and it actually brings up, I guess, another answer to this is that products that that can have software updates and that do a good job of telling you there's updates updates in my opinion are much better you know if you buy something out of the box and there isn't a software update for it by the time you buy it I, i'm always a little concerned when, I, when that that's a good thing that is an that. interesting i'll repeat that again because I think for our listeners that's very important yeah so um i like a lot of times how many times do you buy a computer you buy some product even a car and like you get that software update pop up it says there's a new update of your software available that is a good thing that means that the company that's doing it is so i should tell it. my wife to stop complaining about the microsoft updates um <laughs> Well, you know, as a Mac guy, I, I would I would say just come on over to Mac. I'm the Mac and, guy and, who lives yeah. in that house, by the way. So, all right, so you and I are on the same page there. I tell you, the um, you know those updates are what keep us safe and, oh, and uh, you know keeps us uh, current. So, you know, products that don't have those updates, or sometimes there's companies that have moved on, or they've set set a product out to sunset. That's when you run into those types of issues, Gary, that you're talking about, where you might have a product you bought five or five to ten years ago that you're still using, still connecting, and you just gotta gotta keep an eye on that stuff, make sure that you're getting proper updates and that. Your security of your house is a big one too. For your um, your your router is is up to date. You know, a lot of times uh, people take and they don't they don't have their um, they use a Bluetooth uh, headset, right? Mm-hmm. And they leave the default password. Well, now it's real easy for anybody to to co opt that. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Yeah, I mean the, the the way that Bluetooth the old ones, yes, the newer ones, the pairing process is much better, and and with the updates that have happened with Bluetooth, and again, a lot of Bluetooth products have yeah, software it, updates already. Three, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just Bluetooth it's um, and, and then a lot of products that don't need to have like if they don't need to be connected over the standard Bluetooth, and you can use Bluetooth Low Energy or Beacon technology, that's good. Is is you don't want things to have access unless they really are on a need to know basis when right. it comes to that. Jake, I got to ask you, are you hatching some new businesses right now? I'm always thinking of new stuff. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, we've got our innovation alpha day at home, and I got to tell you, you know, I, I I have the privilege of working with with some of the smartest people I've worked with in my career, and um, is that fun? Well, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's just so much fun. I got to tell you, like we have this policy that we have to hire people smarter than us, and then those yeah. people have to hire people smarter than them. So um, I like to say that that technically makes me the dumbest guy in the company. I'm very proud of that. Full so. disclosure, <laughs> Gary, I live in downtown Royal Oak, where you work. And a lot with vector form there. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jason's coming great, yeah. Tome yeah. and all sorts of stuff. It's become kind of like the epicenter of all these brilliant young uh, technologists yeah. like yourself. Yeah, we yeah. just call it One Detroit. You know, like even though we're not in the city limits, you know, all of our friends in Ann Arbor, our That's friends true. in Rochester, like, you know, it's it's, it's really awesome to see this yeah. tech growth and really just try to be a part of it. It's such a great community. That is neat. That, that's a neat attitude to take that it's not just, you know, one little suburb that's got it all because you got Ferndale, you got all these other places. But I love the fact that there is this, you can really feel the growth there, the pulse that's in the... Um, that's in the market there. And that's exciting that yeah. you also have that bond then. I know uh, we've had uh, uh, um, Amanda Luan on and Bamboo yep. Detroit. And, and the that's right down oh, here yeah. in Detroit. And I think that Jake takes a, a wonderfully um, inclusive attitude towards the whole thing. Because when you think about Silicon Valley, 
it's a whole bunch of communities that are, have now kind of grown together because there's so much activity and, yeah, there's and no it's zip hard code. to tell. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no zip code for Silicon Valley. That's right. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you've got plenty of cities there. And uh, I think that it's expanding and, that out is just so strong for our community. And you, you get that that um, opportunity, even bringing people that you know may be a little bit older in their careers that just want to innovate and Keep it, keep us. You mean we? There's still a chance for me. Oh, <laughs> uh, you've been doing. You've never stopped. You've no, never stopped. he never has. Yeah. <laughs> Jake Siegel, thanks so much for being back here. It has been a ball having you on the air with us, and uh, I hope we'll continue this uh, relationship with you as well as we yeah, continue. Yeah, look forward to it. And yes, folks, wonderful. Jake. We Thank will you. be publishing on uh, coming on Sunday night. I will. Matter of fact, it usually is about one thirty in the morning when I finally get everything pulled together. But we will have everything together from our program today. Look for us at Internet Advisor. We'll have our full two-hour podcast there, and you can take advantage of some of the things that we have uh, alluded to during the program. You can also link off and find the different companies that we've been talking about and with on our program today. Thank you again, Rich Luzinski. Thank you. You have been great juggling grenades back there and making the program happen. Folks, we'll look forward to our next meeting here on the Internet Advisor. You've been listening to the Internet Advisor Show. Detroit's longest-running, locally-produced computer show with Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and our team of experts. For more information about our weekly show, to ask a question of our experts, or find the show notes for this podcast, visit internetadvisor.net and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to check the other great podcasts available on this podcastdetroit.com network. Thank you for listening.